It's CES week, so let's get right into our favourite new tech from the show floor in Las Vegas, starting now. Tech Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Every week online and on air with RTE Radio, we bring you the latest in tech. Coming up on today's episode 951, we're going to be speaking with Zite CEO Shane Evans about the wonderful art of website scraping and some clever projects that they're working on with big data. But first, let's check in with our Tech Central Editor-in-Chief, Niall Kitson. I suppose a happy new year to you, Niall. Uh, It turns out both of us have got uh, very tech-related New Year's resolutions. What's yours? Yeah, uh, this year, I promise, for real this time, to get off Twitter. Now, is that because Elon is running it or because it's just gone pants? Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the only thing that's keeping me on Twitter at the moment is US politics. That's the only fun bit of Twitter. Everything right. else is useless. So uh, until America sorts its, you know, SH1T out with its uh, political system, uh, that's it. That's the only thing that's keeping me on the platform. I just find uh, social media in general where people are able to make comments is just the cesspit of humanity and negativity in general. Yeah. Between that and Black Summer, it, ju- it just shows that we're, we're, we're just not worth this planet. We're really not. Well, no, don't go so far. But uh, I think we need to pull our socks up, though. Uh, one thing that I am going to try and do for New Year's resolution, uh, re- resolutions, and I copped it today because today is my first day back. Email. It's the biggest darn distraction. I opened up my email to do whatever it is. And then, of course, there's five other problems which need immediate attention. So I need to figure out something to do with that. So figuring out how I use email is going to be my New Year's resolution. Oh, you, you, you need to ditch email and take up something like Slack. That's, that's what you need. Yeah, I've used that before, actually. And it's great, but, but it's great for particular projects, but not for yeah. general communication. So anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out somewhere along the line. Uh, and then how else did uh, the New Year te- kick off uh, tech-wise? Uh, SpaceX, I doubt you were watching the launch. Uh, I was very impressed with SpaceX. They had their 200th flight on Tuesday. Already? Uh, uh, already, yeah, 3rd of January, they took off. And I love this. This is great. They were launching 114 satellites into orbit. Now, you might think, that's a huge rocket. Or, as it turns out, they were really small satellites. Right. <laughs> is it like sort of somebody casting pixie dust into our atmosphere or something like <laughs> Actually, that? Actually, do you know what? You're probably not far off because some of them would have been the size of, uh, you know, kind of you know, like a hi-fi speaker or something like that, like, you know, something smaller or cornflakes box. Mm. Uh, others were, were bigger. Um, I, I was thinking of the UCD project where they're going to be putting a satellite up into space and that's a two-unit rack uh, thing, which is small enough. So all of those went up, but there was the actual launch itself. I was kind of looking at it and the Falcon rocket, okay, does not to 100 kilometres in 10 seconds, which is the same as my Renault. <laughs> but the Renault isn't going straight up and it doesn't quite weigh as uh, heavy as, as the Falcon but here's staggering you know when we're, we're flying along and you're going to wherever it is on a plane and you're looking mm-hmm. down at Earth okay yep. which is 10 kilometres below you usually at 35,000 feet uh, the Falcon X rocket gets to the same height as a plane in guess 
Yeah, that's pretty good, actually. And then the yeah. most impressive thing of the entire day for me was the booster, which is the actual main rocket itself. You know, with SpaceX, they're able to land themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and they and they have the cameras on these things as well, which is just fascinating. So you're watching kind of the Earth disappear below the rocket when you're watching mm. it from the rocket's point of view. And mm. then you're also watching the Earth get bigger and bigger from the rocket's point of view as it comes in for the landing. It's See, just there, phenomenal. There is a premise for a short film there right now. A science fiction film from the perspective of the rocket. I think we should move on to CES. <laughs> 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 the world's biggest consumer show. And we love it, actually, because, do you know, what? in many industries, they start off January and it's a bit of, oh, how was your Christmas? Yeah, yeah, grand. yeah, well, yeah, we'll get on to that next week, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it's a bit of a nice roll into the new year. In tech world, it's like, bam, straight into it. First thing, first straight week of January, in. Yeah. straight in. Uh, there is so much going on. I would say if there was one problem with CES this year, it is... The fact that there is just so much going on. And you and I, and we said, all right, well, you know, we'll take from the from the first things that have been released. You and I said, we pick five of our favourites. Yeah. And for the first time ever, I think, and when we've been choosing things, we've both picked five completely different things that are brand new that we love from CES. Yeah. Well, or are amazed and fascinated by. Either um, one. Because very often, like a lot of things that, that you see at CES, they're, you know, proof of concepts. They never actually make it to market, but they, they get you thinking, you know, you're like, oh, but you actually can do this stuff. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yep, your notes for CES this year are far better than mine. Uh, <laughs> do you do you want to go first? <laughs> I can go first. Yes, if you know, uh, if, if, if that's no problem. I really liked, and I'm going to kick off with Schneider Electric. Mm-hmm. Because as we know, and we've had them on the show once or twice, electricity is their bag. It says it in the name. Duh. Uh, but what they are announcing at CES is an all-in-one home energy system. Okay, so now we're all aware of battery systems and smart plugs and smart bulbs and smart systems and stuff like that, and uh, and, and backups and uninterruptible power supplies. Da da da. Snyder Electric are proposing an all-in-one home energy system. So instead of buying all the individual components yourself, they will do the whole thing. Home battery, solar inverter, solar panels, electric panel, the the, the power outlets. Uh, they'll all be connected to Wi-Fi, smart switches. Uh, they'll have their own EV charger for your car. And because it's all in one, it does two things. Firstly, the entire system will work together far more efficiently than if you were to buy everything separately. Right, because it's designed to work together. All right. And then also the second thing is that it will perform much, much better in a power cut because mm. it will have a thing set up so that if there is a power cut, keep on the the fridge uh, and a light in the living room and uh, whatever else, just running off, off battery and it'll kill everything else. So I think it's a nice way of looking at it. And actually, I'm, I'm sure Snyder Electric... Won't be the only people to do it, but they are certainly the first. So that's my first thing from CES, which I thought was excellent. How about yourself? Okay, I'm I'm actually, I had this like fourth on my list, but I'm going to bump it up to first because it, it ties in with what you've been talking about. Uh, and that's not so much a product or a single product as a standard that we're all going to get used to in the, the years ahead. Because 
at the moment, and you've alluded to it there, whenever you get a smart home device, it sits on its own. It's got its own controller. It's got maybe its own app. Um, and therefore, you know, if the company owning uh, said controller or said device goes under, what are you going to do? The app doesn't get updated. You've, you've got a huge security problem. We've seen it happen in, in recent years. So the solution to this is called Matter. It's a common platform that works with um, Samsung, Samsung's smart things. It works with Amazon's Alexa. It works with Google Home. Um, it's a common standard. So it was announced last November and we're starting to see the first few devices come out. Um, uh, again, sort of fairly basic things like, you know, smart plugs, that sort of thing. But this is going to be the consistent smart home standard going forward. So, you know, in the same way that you go, oh, it's Android compatible, you'll be able to go, oh, it's, it's you know, Matter certified. Okay, it's yeah. going to work. That's fantastic. Uh, and if the company goes under, well, guess what? Company goes under, you can still, it's still compatible. It's still fine. Uh, so yes, all things Matter. It was a big thing at CES this year. Any sort of smart home device. Oh yeah, by the way, it's Matter certified. Mm, I was looking at the Samsung uh, keynote presentation and I was expecting, you know, phones, laptops and all that mm. kind of, very little of it. Uh, and it was all home devices and, and, and smart home stuff. Uh, unfortunately, none of it made it into my top five. There you uh, go. <laughs> they're actually, their new smart hub uh, for all their smart things thing yeah. is uh, Matter uh, compatible. Uh, ah. and it, yeah. And it's also a wireless charger uh, as well for your phone. That was kind of handy, actually. And uh, they were kind of doing that in the presentation. This is this is where they differ with Apple, all right? Uh, because they're kind of going, ah, this is a center and it does this and it'll set up this and that and the other, whatever. And it's also a wireless charger, all right? Apple would have flipped that completely. They would have gone, introducing our new wireless charger. Put your phone on it, it charges in it. Uh, but it will also control your entire home. <laughs> mm. And then all the Apple fanboys would go, oh, wow, amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> And then it will happen. never make it to market. <laughs> <laughs> my next one on my list is a company called Drop. Uh, I usually do kind of mechanical keyboards and stuff like that. And they've done some uh, headsets and stuff like that. They're now getting into the desktop speaker market. All right. Now, this is really interesting because there is a whole market for desktop speakers. Uh, desktop is prime estate because there's not that much room on it when you look at your own desk. All right. And the speakers, no matter how small they are, there's still a relatively sizable piece of stuff on your desk, all right? So what Drop have come up with is they don't use cones. If you look at speakers, it's kind of like a cardboard cone with a magnet in the middle of it, and the way it reverberates is, is what makes the noise. Maybe I'm getting a little bit too technical there. However, instead of using cones that have to be kept in a box, what Drop have done now is they use what they call a balance mode radiator, which is essentially a much flatter thing doesn't need a cone, all right? And mm -hmm. because it's flatter and it's slimmer, it can deliver almost the same acoustic quality in a much, much narrower space. Mm. Mm. So I'm very interested to hear about this. They do say that it doesn't quite have the same amount of bass, all right? But that can right. be fixed with a woofer or something under the desk. Um, but I am very interested to see how these space-saving speakers might work. And they're relatively affordable. They were they were putting a price on it of $130 or something like that. So I think it's worth a while. 
Okay. Okay. Uh, right. My next pick, and I just kind of want to get this out of the way. I don't really want to get into much detail on it, mm. but uh, Intel, AMD and NVIDIA all had yeah. big presentations. Uh, and you would swear to God that the desktop PC almost doesn't exist anymore. Well, not so much in the NVIDIA pre- presentation. They were, they were quite big on desktop and mm. on servers. Um, however, uh, Intel, we're talking about their 13th generation co- uh, core processors. Uh, AMD, we're talking about their new Ryzen 7040, 7045HX mm. series um, and some of their new AI stuff. Um, they had a great presentation. AMD, I think, won on presentations with this. They had a person on from Magic Leap talking about how Ryzen processors were powering their sort of next gen, their um, uh, health tech stuff. Yeah. And they also had somebody from uh, from NASA on talking about how it was working with Perseverance. Um, and that was, that was pretty cool as well on object detection. So, you know, in terms of star power, I suppose, if you want to, if you want to look at it that way, uh, AMD kind of wins the, um, wins the war on that one. Although you would swear that there is no such thing as a desktop computer, almost. Um, Intel, we're talking about laptops, AMD, mostly talking about laptops. They're talking about power conservation, squeezing in as many trillion op- AI operations per second um, in as little space as possible, um, taking up as little power as possible. So again, the, the same segmentation as you would expect, regular users, then creators, then gamers, and then enterprise and data centers. Uh, all for fairly, you know, I don't want to say standard stuff because they, these are leaps forward in innovation, but I don't want to get too bogged down. Uh, I will say of the three of them, AMD won for showmanship, uh, but, you know, coming coming to a laptop near near you soon. Right. Well, and now that's one on uh, not necessarily the processor range, but on the um, keynote speech. Is Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you're all style over substance then, yeah? That's it. That's it. <laughs> I saw, and I can't remember who did it, but uh, it was, I think it might have been Intel or yeah, could have been AMD. All right. I don't know who it was, but anyway, I was, I was fascinated. It just whizzed past my eyes and they were talking about a processor for a desktop and it was running at uh, over five gigs and it had 64 cores. I was like, wow. I suppose mm. Apple are doing that as well with their, their own processors as well. Anyway, yes, it's getting it's getting faster and smaller, which is the way that I like it. Uh, what else have we got now uh, on my list? Ah, here's the thing now. I'd love to try it. Not sure if I'd buy it. However, I'd definitely love to try it. It's the Holoride Retrofit Kit. All right. Okay. So it's kind of a virtual reality headset, all right? And the idea is, is that instead of just playing the game uh, while you're sitting at home, is that you would, this would work with your car. Right. All right. So the game will adapt to which direction your car is moving in. So as your car is driving forward, you would be moving forward in the game. If the car turns left or right, you would turn left or right in the game. It's just, so it gives you that full motion uh, kind Ooh. of a thing. I think it's a really, really good idea. Uh, now, they launched it about four years ago, but it was tied in with certain cars and stuff like that. But now they've brought out a retrofit kit, all right, which you can install in any car. Your 1979 Toyota Sunny or your Datsun Sunny as, as, as it was at the time um whatever it happens to be uh, it's only 200 quid for the kit all right but that's kind of assuming that you already have the headset and controller but if you want the entire thing kit headset controller it's about eight uh, eight hundred dollars something like that mm, they're charging um right. 
And then, of course, I think you're limited as well because of the unique thing that this thing does. You're limited to the games that they have. Right. Okay. Which, of course, will tie in with the movement of the car and stuff like that. But that's why I said I'd love to try it out. And and whose kit uh, are is it using or is it uh, uh, their Holoride, own? Holoride is the name of the company and I think they are in bed with uh, Audi because right. it's available in Germany and the US. Right. Okay. That sounds kind of cool. Doesn't you, stop you, me buying one and bringing it back to Ireland, does it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't drive you around. So, you know, that's that's one less tester that can help you. Grant, so that's, uh, what else have you got on your list? Okay, well, let's keep it in virtual reality then because okay. Sony, uh, at their keynote, announced the PlayStation VR 2. Uh, it's available for pre-order now and it's going on release, I think, the 22nd uh, of February. Um Coming out with Gran Turismo uh, with it. So that's, you know, a nice, uh, pretty nice cutting edge game, I suppose, to, to bundle with it to show what you can do. Um, 110 degree field of vision, finger detection on the controllers. Um, what they're calling Tempest 3D audio, which I get, you know, it's their, their own branded thing. Um, they've got some haptic uh, feedback uh, sensor on the head. So it sort of vibrates on your forehead to give you a, an impression of force, I suppose. Um, and again, more haptic feedback in the controls, including things like, you know, in-game, if you're pulling back a string on a, a bow, um, you'll feel it in your controller. Uh, so, you know, nice, nice things like that. Um, PS5 only, uh, I'm afraid. Uh, and it costs, are you ready? Do you want to put a number on this? Go on. 599 euro as much as the console out of my price range <laughs> ever so slightly <laughs> just, just mildly <laughs> sounds good though sounds good though yeah. uh, what else have I got uh, ah now here's one particularly for people who are renting alright because you know can you, when you're going in you're renting an apartment there's not really that much you can do to it and when I was renting I always had a problem putting bloody Pictures on the wall, do you know what I mean? Because, right. you know, some people can get very upset if, if you're hammering nails in or, or whatever, like, you know, because it does. But what do you do with a TV, you know? Because you have mm-hmm. to get those big metal arm things and slam it onto the wall and drill mm-hmm. in big holes and all that kind of stuff. And then when yep. you're moving out then, it just leaves a, a, a complete mess. Uh, much mm. worse than anything else. So uh, a company called Displace have come up with a, a wireless TV. And it's a good one too, right? It's a 55-inch TV. It's 4K. It's OLED. So it's got all of the tick, 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 tick marks for for a fantastic picture, all right? Um, There's no wires. And you don't plug anything into it, okay? You don't plug any power into it. It runs off batteries. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't run any cables into it because it just works off Wi-Fi and everything. It's literally just this panel and you stick it to the wall. And on the back, there are eight little suckers and you lift up the thing. It weighs, weighs about 10K, which is about one of, like a small case that you would bring onto an airplane, okay? So it's not that heavy. So you would lift it up uh, and you press a little button and it takes about eight seconds for it's, for the TV to stick itself to the wall and then you're done. Yeah, eight suckers and another one to buy it. Oh! <laughs> ah! As soon as you said that word, just just popped into my head. If this is primo material, Dusty. This is... 
it all should... works off a base station, which will be somewhere nearby, and the base station is plugged in. The batteries for the actual TV, and this is where I think it falls down on. I mean, they are clever in that you take a battery, there's batteries in the TV, and then there's a second set which charges in the base, uh, which is nearby. All right. Mm-hmm. So if the battery is running out on the TV, well, then you just swap them over. All right. But. Yeah. Do you really want to be doing that? Yeah, uh, actually, do you know what? I, I, I agree with your sucker assessment now. Swapping over. Absolutely agree with your sucker assessment. All right, go on. Anyway, listen, what is it? Is it last on your list or, or penultimate? I've, I've, I've got two more. The penultimate okay, one. Penultimate. Now, now I'm just getting silly. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, from Samsung. We, we haven't mentioned Samsung yet. Your, yep. your boys. Um, they have a streaming oven. Right? Not a steaming oven, a streaming oven. Basically, what this does is there, there's a little camera inside the oven and it takes a picture of your food, recognizes what you're cooking, and it passes along information about the food across all your Samsung connected apps. Uh, so it'll tell you on your watch, okay, this thing has been in the oven for X amount. It'll be ready in a few minutes. Um, also, you know, you've been, this is, this is what you've got. Um, and at the very end, and this is the funny bit, this is how much you need to work out to get rid of it. <laughs> no. Yeah. <gasps> oh, God. Oh, goes, God. That's all you need is a big, that's like saying having a big sign on a Mars bar saying you need to walk 10K to cancel out the calories in this one bar. Exactly. It's total food shaming. I think it's hilarious. Uh, it's like, you know, you've bought this lovely meal and now your cooker is, wants to make you feel bad about it. <laughs> Could you imagine making a Christmas dinner and being told oh. it'll take you three days of running around to get rid of it? I suppose, yeah, I'm just thinking about Christmas dinner. I suppose a lot of people would add extra butter and all kinds of sauces and that's what yeah. kills it. So if you look at Christmas dinner, it's just a bit of turkey and uh, some veg. The potatoes will kill it on the, on the calories. And <laughs> what are we talking about? How? Just, Shoot me now! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is, it's just hilarious. I mean, Samsung also, have been, you know, they, they've been talking about their, their smart domestic appliances and they've, they've got one for um, their new washing machine has a, a microfiber filter as well yeah. that they, they reckon will have the amount of um, microplastics you're letting into the environment by about a half. But, uh, and, you know, of course they show their, their fridge with the, the panels on it going, okay, here's what's inside, blah, 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 blah. Um, but uh, yeah. This is this is a whole other level for me. I'm not sure, I'm not sure I like this. That's like the fridges, and I think Samsung are, are one of the company. I think Samsung is the company with a 32 inch monitor on, on your fridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's unreal, isn't it? Okay, Grant. Now, uh, okay, so here's my last one. All right, seeing as I went first, I'm also going to be the first to go last. Okay, uh, and actually, it's I couldn't make up my mind about one thing. So I've got four things, and they're all one liners. Okay, okay. So uh, actually, Samsung they did make my list. It's a the Samsung TV, and they team up with Philips Hue, and the Philips Hue changes the lighting that's around the TV to correspond with or complement with the picture that's on your actual screen. And it sounds wonderful when you see it. However, what you don't know or what they don't shout about is that you have to pay for a sync box to go with it, which is I think two hundred and fifty quid, or you can download an app which will do the same thing and that's only 150 quid or somewhere in around. I was very like right that's definitely off the list Uh, the other one uh, was a 10 second toothbrush there's like a mouth guard you put the thing into your mouth and it's got like 60 billion brushes on it or whatever like it brushes all of your teeth at the same time 
in 10 seconds. I'll have one of them because I'm that time pressured. Or I just really don't like brushing my teeth. One or the other. Uh, wireless bud hearing aid. I, I thought this was great. All right. Uh, especially if you're thinking of elderly parents. Um, it's wireless bud. Same as you would use with your phone every day, except this also has a hearing aid built into it uh, and it will do all the noise, noise cancelling of background noises, but it will concentrate on a human voice if it detects one so that the person is able to hear what somebody else is saying a lot clearer. I thought that was a great idea. And then the last one, this is really, this is silly, but I can actually really see an application for this. It's a fruit scanner. Okay. And it will scan uh, and tell you if your fruit is ripe or whether it should be chucked. And I find this with uh, avocados because they are not cheap. All right. You kind of like you're squeezing them and kind of going, ah, I think it's gone off. Vump, gone. Mm. Whereas a lot of times the avocado is just ripe and it's perfect and it should Mm. be eaten. The amount of food waste just globally is phenomenal. The amount of stuff Mm. that goes into the bin is disgusting. Uh, So I kind of thought this little fruit scanner is is a great little idea. There you go. Okay, right. I got I got two things. I got two things, one of which I forgot to mention earlier because <gasps> I was talking about matter. Okay, so uh, again, these are just silly. But um, the Withings U-Scan or Withings U-Scan, uh, right? Mm-hmm. This is basically, you put this in, in your toilet. It's, it's, it's like the equivalent of like a toilet block kind of a thing. <gasps> right? Ah, I've seen this. Yes, go on. Yeah, it analyzes your pee. Great. There you go. Yeah. It will, it will tell you your, you know, your nutrition, your hydration levels. It'll tell you how you're getting on. How's your mm-hmm. health doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it sends that information to an app on your phone for the princely sum of 100 euro per year. You can be told how well hydrated you are. Now you sound so sarcastic. All right. Let me ask you one simple question. How much does it cost you to see a doctor? About 70 euro. Exactly. Almost 100 quid to see a doctor. And this is 100 quid a year. All right. And it will constantly monitor what you're up to. Da, da, da. And actually, the things that I can tell off those things is just phenomenal. I mean, you're laughing about hydration and stuff like that, but your nutrition and then there's so many things that will show up in urine. Uh, it's it's unreal to have that. Just sitting. I saw that and I, I didn't like the picture. Because they've got a sensor in the bowl and it looks like uh, it looks like a toilet duck or something like that. And that's fine. Perfect. All right. But on the other side of the bowl, kind of out in the fresh air, <laughs> as it were, in the room, there's this freaking box just sitting there kind of in front of the toilet. It's like, can you not like have a wire or something or a tube or whatever that will bring it to this massive big box around the back of the loo or something like that? Because it just mm. does not look pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Last thing that I want to mention is from the good people at Neutrogena, well-known brand, uh, all to do with skincare. Mm -hmm. Uh, What they are developing is what they call skin stacks. Now, I imagine you have to have some sort of, um, you know, uh, assessment beforehand, but these are basically 3D printed jellies. Um, And each layer, because that's how 3D printing works, as we all know, has a specific kind of nutrient that your skin needs and not, you know, you inverted commas, but you dusty or my skin, you know, individualized, um, you know, treatments, I guess you might call them, um, for your skin, you get a box of them every month, uh, make you look shiny and lovely 50 euro a month for a thing of a couple of jellies. Again, (laughs) 
<laughs> when something goes wrong with your body, you'll find out how expensive it is and it won't be 50 euro a month. But I think you're right. You've got to draw the line somewhere, you know, and for, for jellies and whatever, it's just meh. Anyway, yeah. and uh, right, okay. That was a bit of a bummer, I think, uh, of a way to end the CES technology show. <laughs> Because <laughs> like I want, I want to hear about new phones and TVs and laptops and stuff and like that, cars. Uh, and cars and stuff like that. Like you know, so, but I thought I, I think it is a really good show. Uh, we are recording this uh, podcast on Thursday afternoon, so that's ready for you uh, first thing on a Friday morning, of course. Uh, but the CES show actually opens up officially Thursday. It runs Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, there'll be updates online. Do check out our website techcentral.ie. Uh, for now, now, thanks for keeping us up to date. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. We often talk about companies making use of the data that they generate themselves, but what about data that's freely available across the web? Niall Kitson spoke with Zeit CEO Shane Evans in Cork about how his company solves this problem. Shane, for anyone that's not familiar with Zeit already, tell us a little bit about your company and what you do. So we gather data from the web for other businesses. Our customers would include everything from even some local startups in Ireland all the way through to some of the biggest tech companies in the world. So you're dealing pretty much with anyone with, a, I don't want to say so much a story to tell, but anyone with an interest in understanding more about their market, about their product, this kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. Those are two really common use cases. Um, often maybe market intelligence or competitive intelligence. What are people saying about your product? Um, how does it compare to the competition? If you have pricing guarantees, how do they stack up? Um, people use web data for informing investment decisions. We do, people use it to monitor what's going on online. For example, when COVID hit, we made freely available uh, all news globally about COVID. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of use cases, but the ones you mentioned would be quite common. So let's let's go into sort of the detail of how Zite actually works. Um, yeah. You use web scraping, so take us through the process. Okay, so web scraping, we'd start usually by, let's say, just the logical components would be that you'd fetch a web page. We'd often extract links and follow them to find other web pages and then extract data from the pages that we that we encounter. So web scraping is both the web crawling component, that is finding the, the source content uh, online, and the data extraction component. So I guess it's a, uh, important to emphasize, sort of first and foremost, that this is all information that it's already publicly, publicly available. Uh, it's not something that uh, I, I know an awful lot of media sites like ourselves tend to get quite annoyed about web scraping, about you know, repackaging uh, effectively our own content uh, uh, over and over again. But very often there's a utilitarian element to this as opposed to just simple republishing. Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, obviously republishing, you know, there'd be, we'd always view any project that we do and um, there's copyright issues with republishing, etc. But the more common use case would be these, the transformative use, you know, people analyzing, um, would be, would be the most common use case, or sometimes to, to provide input for operational purposes. But it's it's quite rare that people would be using it to to republish and certainly not our customers. And then the other thing, like you correctly mentioned, Niall, was that Zeit in particular, we'd only access public web data. 
so it wouldn't be crawling behind logins or are these things you hear about bots on social media websites, for example. Um, we, we wouldn't usually consider that in the remit of when we talk about web scraping, that's not what we mean. So let's have a look at some of the problems that you're, you're dealing with at the moment. When you're scraping the web, looking to gather so much data, you're naturally going to be dealing um, across jurisdictions, across different legislative environments. Uh, in Europe, of course, we've got GDPR. California has their own um, regime, I suppose, which uh, the UK has theirs. So when you're looking at dealing w- with data at scale, to what extent does uh, an awareness of different regimes sort of inform your business practices? Like when, you know, the next uh, iteration of GDPR comes out, does that change what you do wholesale or is it just something you you note and, mo- and move on? Yeah, that's a, that's a, so we would need to stay on top of what's happening in different jurisdictions. Um, for us, it's the US and the EU are the most important, both in terms of where our customers are and which websites are being accessed. And, and we've developed our own best practices that far web scraping that everybody in our company would be trained on and we get refresher courses on them. But there are several things that would trigger review by our, by our legal team. And you correctly pointed out that data protection is one of the big ones that would differ across jurisdictionally. Um, so for example, if you're in an EU company, then GDPR applies everywhere. So we'd always follow GDPR. Um, if you're outside the EU, of course, GDPR still applies to EU personal data laws, you know, and we have to be aware of, of, let's say, where the laws in other jurisdictions are strict. For example, Brazil, Australia, Canada, there are some others that we need to be, you know, pay particular attention to. And like you said, you know, some in the US, it can vary on a state by state basis, the CCPA in, in California, for example. Um, so, so again, this is another one we'd have to be aware of, as well as, you know, cross-border transfer issues that can sometimes come into play. You know, we need to ensure we have correct agreements in place for that as well. So there is a good bit to stay on top of. And unfortunately, we have our own in-house legal team that would um, continuously monitor this stuff and ensure we're we're staying on the right side. Now, that being said, of course, it's not going to transform our business if this changes. Firstly, I suppose I don't expect another leap as, as, as big as GDPR, uh, at least in the short term. But secondly, personal data is not, you know, is only accounts for a small proportion of what we did even pre-GDPR. Um, and nowadays, you know, with GDPR, there are still some places where there where we can do it in a GDPR compliant way, depending on the customer. But they're they're quite rare. They're rare enough. Um, and do you find it's a conversation that you have to have with your customers as well to explain sort of the the nature of the data and the availability of the data that you're working with, that what you do is actually compliant and that you do have your own in-house legal team making sure that you stay compliant to a sort of, a, uh, I guess, your, your own best practices selected from, I'm going to guess, some of the tougher standards around the world? That's, that, that's right. That, that's correct. I think our... Larger customers or enterprise customers would very much value that conversation because whilst they would have their own in-house legal teams, they'd rarely have experts in, in web scraping. Um, so we'd, we'd often be seen as an extension or, or somebody that can, of their own team or somebody that can help. And we do find that there's an education concept, you know, an educa- education component to many of our conversations we have with customers. A lot of people might believe that just because the data is public, it means GDPR doesn't apply, but that's actually not the case. And often, you know, they might have a use case that doesn't require public 
doesn't require personal data. So, for example, if they want to get uh, the sentiment attached to some product reviews, you don't actually need to know who the reviewer is in order to do that. So you might still be able to hit their use case without needing to collect any personal information. So you can uh, extract sort of um, the the nature of the information without being personally uh, identified as the, the originator of the data point, if you will. Exactly, exactly. A lot of this is about just extracting what you need um, instead of extracting all the information that happens to be there in a page. Which I guess speaks to the notion of the wisdom of crowds, really. That's sort of the the um, contrarian voices tend to get drowned out by sort of a, what one's better angels at a, 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 a much larger level. Right, right. So let's have a look at one of the main problems or main issues that is going to affect the big data and companies dealing with uh, data as, you know, their their product or their raw material uh, over the next few years is going to be Google's uh, effective ban on third party cookies to focus more on first party data. As a company working in that sort of broad field, how do you see this as a challenge and how do you see companies change in the kind of conversations they have with you uh, looking for sort of the same results, but maybe not understanding the kind of data lakes or kind of resources that will be available. So, yeah, it's very hard to know what exactly the impact of Google's move to ban third-party cookies will be. I mean, when I look back um, to where we are now, it, it's very hard to you know know ahead of time that we would have ended up here with all the tracking that's in place, given the technology that's available. Um, I mean, the, the, the privacy sandbox is, is, I think personally, I think it's a great idea. I think it's fantastic to provide, you know, to provide a more anonymity to users online and also to do away with those, uh, you know, cookie consent forms that I think most people, they just get in the way of providing good user experience and most people don't want to accept cookies, but it can be, you know, hard to figure out (laughs) how to do that. Um, so look, I, I mean, personally, I think this is a good thing for the internet. And generally, anything that provides a more and not anonymity to users is 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 also good for us. And anything that means that users see the same open internet, and um, you know, and, and multiple users see similar content is also good. It me- means that there's there's value in that rather than everybody seeing something different online. Um. So so at a high level, I quite like that. On a technical level, though, we've been assessing it. We've been looking into it a, a little bit. There's multiple different initiatives. So it really depends on what these are, are being replaced by. I think maybe not everybody's familiar with, you know, they're doing away with third-party cookies, but they're also doing away with other techniques that that companies use to track users online, maybe besides just cookies, like creating unique browser fingerprints. Um, and I think doing away with that is is going to be enormously positive. There's a few different initiatives. There's multiple different initiatives that are still evolving. So, so we're tracking these and, and seeing how they will evolve. One of them is called the, the Private State Token API. And that's the one that might have an impact for us. This is the main one where, um, this is main one where you know people where companies can use use context from one browsing, from one area. So like from one issue or website to another. Um, so we're tracking that to see what the implications are for web scraping. But I think a lot of it will come down to how it's actually deployed by websites and what use people make of it. So finally, just to, to wrap up our conversation, what, what sort of um, problems do you see affecting your company going forward? Uh, understanding that straight away we're, we're in a time of flux when it comes to our relationship with anonymity. Uh, is it going to be a, a case of, you know, 
you'll be able to maybe trade your own data as a, a first party? Or is this going to be uh, we're moving to uh, an internet with anonymity by design? Yeah, I, I mean, the more we have in anonymity by design, um, I, I feel like that's the better for for us as well as for users. The more there's clarity between what's private data and what's what's public data, the better as well. So, you know, these kind of gray areas where um, where different users see different things, um, where data is public but not quite, um, you know, th- th- those don't help. Um, a nice, clear way that's easy to understand. Um, for users and for people who are interested in collecting data, I think is is obviously better um, for everybody. But I, at the same time, I understand that we have to, you know, that there's a, a balance to be made between what we want and what advertisers want and others online. Um, overall, I, I, I like the direction of this project. I, I like the goals, um, but but it remains to seen to be seen what it actually means in practice. And that was Niall Kitson chatting with Zeit CEO Shane Evans. You can find out more about their company at Zeit.com. That link, of course, in the show notes on your podcast player right now. That's it for our show this week. Remember, you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie. And of course, you can listen to us each week online or Fridays with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson, have a great weekend. And thanks for listening. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.